Welcome to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan, and each episode, I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about two very important things. Number one, the stories shared here are often gritty, raw, and vulnerable, and very likely will include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Number two, this podcast is also broadcast live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So on whatever platform you follow myself or Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you have the opportunity to participate in this discussion. You can comment on the live stream, and we encourage your participation both by commenting and asking questions. So this podcast is about exploring the stories that take place between the before and after photos, not just in the realm of weight loss, but in all areas of life. So let's dive in. All right, welcome back to another episode of Between the Before and After. I'm very excited for today's guest, as always, because I love doing this, but I believe this might be the oldest guest that I've had on my podcast, but don't let that fool you because she's living her best life at the age of 76. Welcome to Lynn Bowman, the glam grandma who wants you to have brownies for breakfast. That's me. <laughs> it's so great to be here. John. I'm a little odd at some of the guests that you've had have been amazing people with, with yeah. super dramatic stories. And, and the main thing I have to offer is that I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but not just that you're still here, like you're not hooked up to, to machines and using mechanical aids to, to function. Oh, yeah. You still have your mobility. You still have your cognitive capacity. Like there's, there's Most so much. Yeah, most of it. I mean, like, it's inevitable that, that like aging happens and there's certain things that we can't necessarily escape. But I think you've just, you look at aging differently and decided to take a different approach to it. Aging is not a bad thing. Uh, yeah. It's what we do with what we got. And there are gifts that come with this age uh, that I'm discovering that are wonderful because we haven't had a lot of role models for fabulous aging when you think about yeah. it. You I know. love that. Yeah. And, and, and my kids have said to me, Ma, go on, be the poster girl. It's okay. Um, and so, <laughs> so if that's what I am, fine. I'm a poster girl for eating good and, yeah. um, and thinking good thoughts because it does help. Yeah. But being this age is so freeing, John. I yeah. Mean, you, you can kind of express your opinion and, and people are like, well, okay, she's, you know, she's 76. So, uh, yeah, know. she's just, but, but also, right. Yeah, but you you've been around long enough that um, you've seen a lot. You just have this immense, like vast library of life experience to draw from, and some incredible wisdom. And uh, but you've kind of kept a sense of humor along the way. What what got you started, kind of on this quest? Because you wrote the book uh, Brownies for Breakfast, and we'll make sure we of course include that link in in the bio for anybody who would like to eat brownies for breakfast, which I think sounds like a brilliant idea. It um, is a brilliant idea. Come on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who doesn't want to eat brownies for breakfast? Right. So what got you started doing this? Well, I'm a diabetic. I'm okay. a type diabetic. And I discovered early in my life, in my 40s, that I was. So, and but I was determined. I was a single mother, three little kids. Mm. And I was determined, the sole source of uh, income, which is no minor thing to those right. who've been through that. Um, I was just determined that I wasn't going to leave my kids. And my mom had died when I was 16, 18 and had been ill for a long time. And so I had very personal and up close experience with chronic disease. And I just said, okay, I'm going to do whatever 
I need to do to stay upright and stay healthy. And there has to be a way. <laughs> yeah. There has to be a way. So you are a powerful. Yeah, you had a powerful motivating reason why to do this. Um, so, so you lost your mom at 18. and Was it to chronic disease? She had kidney disease, a chronic okay. disease. Yeah. And, and, and so I understood so early in my life what many people still don't understand. I see it all the time. So do you. That chronic disease not only takes your body and your mind, but your money and your right. family. Well, you know, think about it. And I, and in my life, it was very dramatic because at the age of 18, I was, I lost my home, my family, essentially, uh, my dog. I mean, everything was gone right? um, very quickly. And my dad went off to another life and um, I, I was pretty much feral at that point. And um, were you homeless? I was at UCLA. So at yep. that point, I still was living in the dorm. Uh, but what I want to share with people is that that's what chronic disease can and will do to us. Right. Because especially not so much in Canada, but in the United States, nobody's going to pay for this except you. You will mm. get the bills for this. And so if that sounds kind of mean and crude in a way, when we're talking about good health, I'm sorry. It's, it's a very painful, awful experience to be bankrupted by ill health, which yeah. is entirely, I mean, it's something like 85% of the bankruptcies in the United States are because of ill health. So that's, that's a crazy st- statistic. 85%. A small item. I mean, so I know that's kind of <laughs> granny buzzkill here. No, this is stuff that needs to be shared because on the other hand, like obviously you have a great story and we're going to dive into that. But I think to to lay this foundation, this premise for why you do what you do, like you genuinely care about people and, and caring about people is not about filtering out the hard stuff and saying, I'm only going to give you the nice stuff that you want to hear. It's about, let me tell you the truth of the matter. However, when I share that truth, know that it's coming from a heart of love. I want to see you healthy. I want to see you enjoy the best possible life you can. And my chronic disease, diabetes, is a sneaky one. Yeah. It's one that catches up on people kind of too late sometimes because you don't have symptoms. You don't know you've got it. And and I'm talking to you men now, particularly. I know you guys. And you don't go and get your checkups. You don't go and get tested until your wives drag you in for some reason. And what happens with diabetes is if you get tested fairly early, hemoglobin A1C is the test, and that tells you what your blood sugar is over a period of time. So it's a pretty reliable Mm, indicator of what your condition really is. It's not like what happens today. It's what's happened for the past three months. Right. So when you have the results of that test, then you know what to do. And most folks don't get that test for years, decades. Sometimes. Right. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm here to tell you, I, I'm going to nag you all. And I want you to, <laughs> if you're 40 or so, get the test if you haven't yeah. had it, and get it every year. And yeah. a lot of what I talk about sounds, by the way, that I am opposed to allopathic Western medicine. I'm not. I just want you with me to understand that there are things that, that, 
your doctor can do and things that your doctor won't do or can't do or doesn't know mm. how to do. A thing they're great at is testing your blood, testing right. you and diagnosing you often is is great to have a physician. Right. Yeah. But after that, I got to tell you, it's up to you. Yeah. You are on your own, essentially, because yeah. they are not trained and they don't have time. It's yeah. the way medicine is practiced now. They have like 15 minutes top yeah, yeah. to talk to you. And that is not even a big, I mean, of course, in my life, that's not even a how do you do, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But, but let alone, how are you? And let's talk about your life and your what's going on and how do you feel? 15 minutes? Get out of here. Right. And, it's not nearly enough time. No. And they're forced to be looking at the computer the whole time. Computer screen. Right. Tap, tap, tap on the keyboard, you know, quickly enter this information here and so on. Right. So if you are diagnosed with, for example, diabetes, Mm -hmm. or if you're not, the prescription is the same. If you're, if you're diagnosed actually with a heart disease, guess what? The prescription is the same and you are also on your own and, and they might prescribe that you go to a dietitian. And I also, I'm highly prejudiced here, but unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is you go to a diet class or a dietitian and the teacher comes in and she weighs 350 pounds and, and you go, wait, wait, a little bit right. of cognitive dissonance here. Right. Yeah. This is a person who is teaching me how to change my lifestyle and be healthier. And I, I bring it up because it's something I hear all the time from people. Um, so moving on again, you're on your own, but the prescription yeah. is the prescription is not difficult. It's very simple. It's start eating whole food, real food, plant based, not too much. Yeah. That sounds like, is it not forks over knives? Maybe it's um, indefensive food. I it's think Michael Pollan. That there we said go. Most of that and not too much. Yeah. This is not new. This is yeah. not something I just made up this week. This is not something I'm selling. Yeah. This is something that is proven to work. Yeah. And when you think about it, doesn't it make absolute sense? Eat real food. How, how is that <laughs> not? Yeah. Um, so the. Uh, a true thing, you know? Right. And I think the the factors that make up a healthy lifestyle. So whether or not you have disease, it, it, it's my impression or what I observe is people tend to do what they can get away with what they, whatever they can until they can't get away with it anymore. And that's, that's not a knock necessarily on people's character because I I mean, I'm interested in the realm of behavioral psychology. I like to try to understand why this happens and, and sort of scratch under the surface. Right. And we, we have a society that encourages overeating, that encourages junk food. We have food manufacturers that engineer junk food to have addictive qualities. Thank and you, so yes. They're, they're not your friend. Like McDonald's isn't your friend. So they don't whenever you're want pers- you to be healthy. They're not interested right. in your health. They're interested in shareholder profits. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you... So you're, you're 76, you could be retired, you could be, I don't know, knitting socks or something like that. And you, you said, I forget this. Way. I really hate knitting. <laughs> so so why why did you decide, uh, like how long have you been sort of on this quest of uh, let me help you get healthier and uh, why do you keep doing it instead of putting your feet up? 
Well, I got kind of shoved, John. Um, it, you're now a parent, and so you know yeah. that that your kids become so integral to your life in so many ways. And and my kids kept saying to me, "Ma, you got to share this stuff. You got to tell. You got to." And this is not my first rodeo. This is actually my my fourth book. Uh, and I've been interested in food all my adult life. I love to eat. Yeah. And as a, as a diabetic, if you love to eat, again, you're kind of on your own. You need, to, you need to really know what you're doing because all the food that is being shoved at you all the time is not necessarily the food that will give you life, that will mm. give you longevity, that will give you health. So it, it just sort of evolved that I understood that I needed to get this. Uh, and, and then when you get it, you want to share it. Like, right. I, I want everybody to know, I want nobody to feel the anguish. And there's a little story in the book uh, that my, uh, there are a lot of stories in the book actually, but, uh, this one came from my youngest daughter who is a, a nurse practitioner. Right. Yeah. And she was checking a guy in the hospital and she called me and said, mom, I was checking this guy in and he's a vet. And he was in to get his legs amputated, which, by the way, that could be you. Mm -hmm. If you don't get your hemoglobin A1C, if you don't understand what your blood sugar is, the downside is you will lose function in your limbs. You, Your limbs will start to die. And that's long after you get erectile dysfunction and, and, and all kinds of other things. But... At that point, you've been type 2 diabetic for a long time. So she told me that she was checking this guy in the hospital to get his legs amputated. And she sat down with him. And because she's a nurse practitioner, she's got a little more time. Than right. Yeah. And she said, I held his hands. And and I said, my mom's working on a book. And that she's kind of struggling to finish it. And it's about diabetes. And it's for, you know, to help people know how to eat and so on. And she said, he got tears in his eyes and he said, please tell your mom to finish the book. Hmm. So I, I took that as a message from the universe saying, okay, lady, out there. just yeah. do it, just do it. And you know, with the book, it's very hard to market a book. You don't make any money from a book. Right. Yeah. It, you know, it sounds glamorous to be like, I'm a published author. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yes, I'm glamorous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found mascara for you today. I've got lipstick on. Fantastic. I didn't. But, I should have, though. <laughs> um, a, a marketing a book is a long slog, but it yeah. it comes from my heart. It's the stuff that I make in my own kitchen, the photographs. And it sounds kind of funky to say that, but I, it really is beautiful. I, I had a wonderful designer help me with the book because I wanted it to be what you wanted in your kitchen. I yeah, wanted yeah. to put the book up and open it and go, wow. But the, the photographs I took with my iPhone and I did it specifically because I wanted you all to know there were no food stylists. There was no art director, you know, to, this was real food coming out of a real kitchen made by a real granny for you. Yeah. Um, and you can make the food and, and have it turn out just the way it does in the book. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're trying to make it easy for people. It's easy. It yeah. is easy. I'm not a chef. 
I haven't been, you know, collecting recipes from around the world with, with stuff that you've never heard of. There are a couple things in here that you've never heard of. Cool. Things like glucomannan. Do you know about glucomannan? Uh, the fiber that uh, makes you feel full, but you don't break it down. It's konjac fruit. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great ingredient to use instead of cornstarch to thicken things. And, and it doesn't dull the color. It's a really beautiful little ingredient. It's just food. It's real food, but it's, a, a, it's in my recipe for um, lemon curd. Okay. Which you probably know about because uh, it's it's very Canadian and English and um, very British. And yeah. <laughs> very British. It's it's the basis for lemon meringue pie or for okay. yeah. parfait or something, and because it, all of us have a sweet tooth, mm. but what I want to teach everyone is that you can make fabulous sweets without sugar. Right. And none of us, including the diabetics, heart, every, none of us should be eating sugar. We have been sold sugar for decades by these yeah. folks you mentioned in the buildings that are engineering food to be addictive. They yeah. have been selling us sugar. Yeah, that, that's the goal. Sugar, fat, yeah. salt is the trifecta yeah. of doom. And we are more addicted to sugar because it's more addictive than heroin. Mm -hmm. And so, and I've repeated this ad nauseum, but I think it's important to hear it. If you said to me, Lynn, why don't you cut back on your heroin? Does right. that make any sense? Why don't you no. cut back on your heroin? Yeah. <laughs> no. Mm -mm. And it doesn't make sense to cut back on your sugar either. Because when you quit, what happens is, your body readjusts, your chemistry changes. And what happens is you stop wanting sugar. You stop even liking sugar. Not that it won't still be pushed at you. And so any right. addict knows that, you know, you want to avoid your triggers. You don't want to go, you know, hopefully if it's a three-year-old birthday party, you, you know, you know, there's going to be a cake and so on. And so, Okay. But if you really make a conscious decision that you are going to quit sugar, so many good things happen. You lose weight. Mm -hmm. Your teeth do way better. I mean, your whole body and your risk of cancer is reduced. The list is a mile long of what you are doing for yourself when you just do that one thing. That's all right. I'm asking. Just right. So. And, and it's a very difficult thing to do because it's a ubiquitous ingredient in so many things. And it Everyone. means, you know, starting to, or trying to read the labels and pay attention to it. And um, it's a challenging thing from a social standpoint as well, because it uh, being that it's so ubiquitous in any kind of social experience that you might go through, you're likely to be offered something that contains it. And then there's the awkward conversation uh, for, for people, at least it may be awkward in the beginning where they go, well, why aren't you eating this? And there's a social pressure and sort of our desire to escape conflict. We're like, okay, well, I'll just cave this one time to sort of make it, you know, and so on and so forth. Okay. So, but I have the language for you. It's easy. Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. Big smile. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. No. Yeah. And so That's some people find it. Yeah, some people genuinely find that a difficult thing to do because they're by nature, let's say, conflict avoiders or something along those lines, you know? 
well, then this is going to be great for you because not only are you going to break your addiction to sugar and lose some weight and your skin's going to look better and your liver's going to be all these things, but you are going to gain some confidence, aren't you? Yeah. Um, and it's the kind of confidence that we all need to carry out our lives in so many different ways. It's a confidence mean, that says I'm, I'm worth, like my health is worth it. My health is worth more than trying to make you comfortable about the decisions I'm making. And yeah. I always, you know, what kind of an example are you setting as a parent? Or yeah. grandparent? Yeah. You know? um, Sugar's an easy win though. Hey, if you're good, I'll give you a cookie. And this is a thing as a- Grandma con- brought you chocolate, you know. That- that we need to fix. We really need to fix this. Um, yeah. And I, I, I mean, I spend a lot of time ranting about drive-through. Um, but when it comes now, you you're a parent. Yeah. And what you and all parents really need to think about is how much you're giving up by giving up your table, by giving up your supper table, your whenever it is that you gather around a table, because that's what's happening. People, mm-hmm. uh, we've got two generations at least of kids who have been brought up, many of whom have never eaten, yes, this is true, with utensils because their whole little adorable lives, they've been eating chicken bits out of a bag and they've been eating tacos and they've been eating, you know, hamburgers. No utensils required. Pizza, no utensils required. So I am here representing grannies today to tell you (laughs) that if you don't need utensils to eat, you need to rethink your eating. Mm -hmm. Um, I love, you know, doing things with my hands too. And I occasionally will have a, a brownie you can eat with your hands. But I really think that you are cheating your children if you deprive them of table culture. If you deprive them of that time in community, in conversation, understanding the food that you're eating, being grateful for it. Where did it come from? Where is it going? Yeah, yeah. I think this is really, really brilliant. And and I'm I'm glad that you describe it in this way. When you deprive your children of, I think what you say, when you deprive your children of the table. Table. We, you know, I have another podcast called It's Not So Black and White. And last night we were having this conversation about this concept of breaking bread with people you disagree with. Yes. And and really what we're highlighting is how food brings us together because it's a sharing of resources. Yes. And, you know, um, I mean, I'm also a meditation instructor and I have a meditation around mindful eating about being present with the food you eat. And it's not that you, you know, necessarily meditate before you have a meal or try to reach a meditative state while eating a meal, but it's about being present with the food and actually tasting it. And we don't get that from drive-through culture. We don't get that from Uber Eats culture or skip the dishes or, or whatever else. So we're, we're losing yeah, our connection to food. Kids will eat what kids grow and what kids cook. Mm-hmm. And I'll, put the, I'll take it a little further. Your children need to share with you preparing a table, cleaning off the table, doing it. I can't believe how many parents now have become just their children's servants. Mm-hmm. They're not the teacher, they're servants. And the kid runs off to the bedroom with the electronics, leaving mom in the kitchen or dad in the kitchen to clean up the mess. And food, I mean, we, we judge animals based on their ability to share food with each other, right? 
we when we study wolves, it's like, well, the alpha wolf and the you know, and they're and they're sharing the kill. And yet we are allowing ourselves as humans to move away from sharing food, from mm-hmm. moving, moving away from our food culture. And I think people are just yeah. not thinking about that. And I want you to think well, about that. Yeah, and I think you're you're of a generation where you had a more difficult life. I'm not suggesting that life is easy nowadays. Life is more challenging, but it, from different perspectives. But you were alive pre-internet, if we can ever imagine that. You were. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know right. if you were alive pre-electricity, but <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost. But pre-internet, pre-cell phone, pre-computer, all of yeah. this. You had so you know, and we're losing this valuable perspective as this generation dies off. And you're absolutely right. It's almost like we're, you know, I I love empathy. I love compassion. They're the core of the work that I do in terms of helping people. But I try to explain these aren't a get out of jail free card. It doesn't mean we're going to avoid discomfort. It doesn't mean we're going to avoid, you know, little bits of internal conflict and so on. That's where we find character. That's where we develop strength. That's where we develop resilience in the face of this. And so, but parents are, are you're right in a sense, they've handed all of their authority to children who don't have the emotional capacity to properly make decisions and do require parental guidance because at some point that little individual is going to be a functioning adult member of society. And it's like, what sort of society do we want to shape? And again, it's about the, it's not what you say, John, to your kid. It's the yeah. example you set. They are watching everything you do, whether they yeah. admit it or not. Absolutely. All the time. But a a big difference, I think, between the generations that followed me and me. I was born in 1964. Mm -hmm. In 46. I graduated from high school in 64. And those were two seminal years, actually. 46, of course, the end of World War II. And Mm -hmm, 64 mm -hmm. was was the Beatles. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole world changed. But it was it was also the beginning of huge upheaval, political upheaval in the United States, at least. Um, And um, we all became hippies overnight. Uh, Right. And and I I also like to point out that in 1964, when I entered the adult world, the job market, whatever, I had my first full time job in advertising. In 1966. Okay. Let that sink in for a second. <laughs> yeah. So have you been uh, involved in the world of marketing or for many years or? Many, many years. I, I was a creative. Um, okay. And uh, I was, um, well, it, it's going back way ancient, but um, I, I was advertising manager for Redken Laboratories, which at the time was this tiny little, company out in the Valley and Southern California, um, the LA area. And after that went huge and went to New York and so on. But um, it was like my grad school and uh, I, it was true. And I, I wanted to say also, I'm a huge fan of failure, by the way. Right. And I would encourage all parents everywhere to understand that still the thing that teaches us the most is failure. And please let your kids experience failure when it's well, appropriate. Life is going to hand them failure. And so yeah. if we don't learn to navigate this at an early age, and you know, it, it's interesting. I just think about, cause I've got a one-year-old at this point in time. So I think about 
you know, my wife and I had this discussion one time and she was just tired and frustrated and, and so on. And just like, what are we going to give them to eat? And, and, uh, you know, I've, I've been really, I mean, I'm a nutritionist. I work with people and I see what happens if a developing brain has been fed junk food and so on. And it's not that I don't ever consume sugar. Um, at this point in time, maybe not anymore after, after talking to me though. Right. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. After okay. this conversation, sugar is going out the window, <laughs> but it, but it was this conversation around, I'm like, I'm aware of what happens the moment we give his brain, his very, very um, easily influenced, malleable, developing brain, junk food, nothing else will compare. Right now, he loves blueberries. Give him blueberries and he'll just nom, 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 give me more. I want more blueberries. But if he was to eat a blueberry flavored candy, all of a sudden, nope, blueberries don't cut it anymore because my palate has been changed by eating this. And so right. it's not that we can shield him forever. But like his meals are like veggies and quinoa and blueberries and oatmeal and banana and real food. You know, yeah, yeah, because it, it's because you know. Yeah, that's the problem. Is I know too much, and I've I've witnessed too much. I've witnessed the the effects of this on on like on, on adult brains now. How brains get conditioned. We think, oh, you're young, you can get away with it. Oh, you're a kid, you can get away with it. And I go, uh oh, do you realize what you're doing to this young person at the time that their brain is developing? When you start patterning this behavior, this is the most impressionable age. And as you pattern it now, I'm trying to help people undo these behavioral patterns in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I haven't yet worked with someone in their 70s. That'd be kind of cool to do, um, but I, have, I haven't yet done that. But helping them try to undo this, but it's really, really difficult because these impressionable years are so important. And it's like, uh, you know, our kids never had a chicken nugget. And I don't, I don't intend on ever like, you know, cool. we, we, we had a, we had a cake smash recently and that was a bit of a, there's a bit of internal consternation there, but like my wife, she, she, she dug out some recipes and found something because she knows uh, like how I feel about this because I've had my, I'm a former binge eating food addict. I've had my struggles, my battles with food. Then you and know. I know, I know how hard it is. And so his, his cake, you know, had like a coconut sort of icing with then like applesauce and blueberries. And the funny thing is, instead of smashing the cake, he just was like free blueberries. This is amazing. And just sat there picking the blueberries off the cake, right. thinking this is the greatest thing ever. Right. And so it was a bit anticlimactic for people watching the cake smash. But on the other hand, I was like, look at my little kid there, just happily nomming away on blueberries, thinking yeah. this is the best thing ever. And so we're really trying to to keep him to whole foods for as long as possible. And it sounds like, it's, it's, what's funny is it sounds like an extreme thing to do in today's world. And yet you go back to your generation. It's like whole food was the only option. <laughs> like that was no wrong. Excuse me. Yeah. I grew up, think about it. Let's, let's go back 1946. Right. That was when big food was getting cranky. Okay. And so all of a sudden the supermarket was a thing. Moms were thrilled to be able to go to the market and just buy all this stuff and then we had TV, you know, we had mm, oh, TV dinners. Channels, yeah. Only three channels, but all three channels were selling cereal. That oh, was yeah. all shitty food. And, <laughs> yes. Um, breakfast cereal is dessert. If anything. And I come from the land of McDonald's. Right. Came, started in California. Uh huh. And it, you know, we, there were actually buildings shaped like donuts and hot dogs and stuff before those things went anywhere. So I grew up with my cohort eat. I mean, and, and we would get the Betty Crocker cake mixes and after school oh, we'd right. make a cake and eat it. Right. right. Because we could. Right. And because in a way our moms were so, we, our moms were in the kitchen drinking Manhattans 
and smoking Pell-Mells, honey. Right. Um, right. And being told on the TV that those Pell-Mells were recommended by doctors. Mm, good for your lungs. Mm-hmm. So, so my cohort of people were, were absolutely fed a crock of poop from the time <laughs> we were little, we were being told that these fabulous new convenience foods were going to be the best thing ever. Right. And uh, I mean, our school lunches, bologna on Wonder Bread. That's what we used to eat. Right, it's because incredible it incredible when you think about it that I'm still here. <laughs> right. So because you, you developed type 2 diabetes and you were diagnosed at was it age 40? Mm-hmm, a little after my, my 40th, yeah. Yeah, so, so a couple couple years back. And yeah. uh were you were you ever overweight in your life or did this creep up on you? Or like was well, it a shock when you got a diagnosis? And I talk about this in the book. I tell the stories because you know, like all women and have you seen Mad Men, the series? I haven't. I've certainly heard about it. The, ad, the advertising crazies of the seventies. It was sixties, and, and 60s, so okay. many people have seen that. And I, and I love to say, okay, I was wearing those clothes. I right. went to work in those high heels. <laughs> I was her. You know, that was my life. Um, we all were obsessed with being thin because you, as a woman, right? You that had was, to be right. That was where your value was placed. On, on yes, yeah. So I was on every diet and every, you know, everything. Um, and, and no, I wasn't particularly overweight. I, I probably had five or 10 pounds that sure. I yep. lost, but no, I was okay. But I also, in that time, if you wanted a job, one of the few things as a female that you could do was be, for example, a stewardess. Okay. But if you weighed more than 125 pounds, you lost your job. Fascinating. Think about that. So is that where the, the number 125 comes from? Because it's one that women often feel like they, they want to weigh. And I think, like, what a way to sort of imprint in your consciousness. And I guess it provides fuel savings, but not really. Uh, you yeah. know. So I'm asking for your forgiveness in a way. If I sound a little crazy sometimes, I'm explaining why. Yeah, where, where it came from. That's the kind of thing that we were told. I, I actually was desperate for a job at one point. And, and um, inquired with the LA police department, but you had to be five, seven. Right. Right. So you had to have an imposing physical presence. Okay. So (laughs) not, not quite an imposing enough physical presence. Right. Also not male enough. Think about it. Yeah. Um, So when, yeah. So when you, when you got like, when did you go like you're, I'm guessing you're sugar free at this point in time as you know, as you know, when did you make the decision to go like just cut sugar out of your life? It was sort of, it, it evolved. Um, when I finally got to, to the place where I could make some food that I found kind of thrilling with no sugar, I went for it. Okay. Um, and it, it has not, not been easy, you know, like you said, socially just, turning my back on all of it. And, and now that I'm really old and crusty, it's easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, I, I like being active, you know, you, you know, before coming on to this interview, you said you just finished working out, uh, you know, yeah. right. And most people but, at 76 aren't thinking about like working out. Um, and I, three days a week, I, I do that. And I have a treadmill in here because that's the other part of the story. Well, there's three really important parts. One, what you're eating. Two, are you moving? Because you need to. 
Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, you know that. Yeah. Um, and there's really no point in just fixing your eating unless you're going to also fix your movement and just, even if it's just walking, just get out there. And then number three thing, a lot of people aren't talking about sleep. Yeah. Big one. Big one, because your sleep is so affected by what you eat. And what you eat is actually affected by your sleep. If you're tired, you're going to go for the sugary stuff. You're going to try for the blast. If you've had your sleep, you have a lot more courage to stay with the food that you know is healthy. Mm. And the fourth piece of the puzzle that I would mention is stress and and managing that because we live in a more, I think, emotionally and mentally stressful world with this digital connection that we never really experienced before. Life yeah. was stressful in different ways in, in years gone by. So then in, in your estimation, why do you feel like it is that people, you know, just eat badly? Why do most people eat badly these days? Well, you just named a thing, stress. So many people use food as a coping mechanism. Mm, yep. I, I, I call it like an emotional anesthetic. Yes. Yeah. And because it's available. Yeah. Cheap. And well, not so much cheap anymore. Well, that, that's changing, which is maybe not a bad thing. No. And we should talk about that, John, because I think maybe people don't make the connection. And, and it really came home for me a few nights ago. I, I kind of was celebrating that COVID is a little more in control. And so and I mean, we've been isolated for two years. Um, and I had a couple of friends over. There were five of us at the table. Yeah. And so I made dinner for five of us and we had two courses. We had a salad and we had a pasta course, uh, all fabulous, by the way, all in the book. Um, yeah. And we also had a decent little Pinot Noir and the whole, the bill for the whole thing was 30 bucks. Yeah. Now where can you go fast food or Instamart or where and feed five people a good wholesome complete meal for 30 bucks including an earthy modest but lovely little pinot noir yeah probably not happening anymore so uh, you know i i think the time has come where both in terms of growing our own food which you got you really need to do it yep it's fun it tastes great it looks great in your yard all that Your kids will love it. So there. So this just, is the thing that we don't teach kids is how to grow food. Yes. And it's like, we didn't learn either, you know, and I, I think before we started recording, I was telling you about uh, getting this indoor hydroponic garden that I'm very excited about and I can't name it yet, but they're, they're going to be an element of this show moving forward That's because right. you know, it, the, the reasons we think about it, like it's too expensive. And I don't have time. Well, what if this took you 10 minutes a month, you know, and saved you money? Because you're now growing it. You don't have to pay for transportation and storage and and so on and so forth. What's getting shipped to you. By the way, the same people that complain about not having any time are doom scrolling for hours, you know. Mm, Yeah. Right? So So, our brains are kind of being hijacked by technology and by food. mm -hmm. And then the cure that we're being sold, the cure in air quotes, would be um, really a medication when the first prescription people should be getting is to increase their movement and change what they eat. And I think even doctors are are starting to get on board with this. There's been a shift over the years where it's like, you, you need to incorporate physical activity. There isn't a pill that can fix this. And so it's for, for yourself at 76, you mentioned you work out three times a week. What are you doing for workouts? 
I'm glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, it's so much fun. Um, I do TRX. Yep. Um, I have a little neighborhood studio with a wonderful trainer. Kristen's amazing. And um, she's particularly good with us not young anymore, ladies. Um, yes. Yep. Uh, she isn't easy on us, mind you, but um, she's conscious of what our limitations might be. So I do TRX. I do Pilates, which I love. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's so great uh, for those of us, particularly um, of an older persuasion. Um, <clears throat> it's very safe. Yeah. So you can really do a workout and you can develop muscle and so on without endangering yourself. Right. Yes. And do you, do you have many peers in your age bracket who are doing this? Quite a few. Okay. Um, and uh, I do live in California. I, I do. Um, I'm happy to say I have some darling friends. <laughs> this yeah, area yeah. attracts a lot of artists and interesting folks. And um, yes, there are. So I may be one of the oldest ones. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, um, but uh, they range in age from forties. Yep, on up. Uh, not a lot of the really young ones are working out with us because they're off doing other things. But um, so I highly recommend TRX because yep. it's it's as you know it's straps and so you get a stretch and a strength at the same time. Yeah, and I highly recommend Pilates. Um, the, you don't have to have the reformer thing. You can do mat Pilates, which is wonderful work we right. work out with weights um big fun and it's a yeah. social life yeah which yeah. is another element of your health i'm always hollering at people about eating alone i don't want you eating alone you do you make bad decisions when you eat alone <laughs> yeah that's another great quotable you make bad decisions when you eat alone yeah so make make yeah. eating a more social thing it's yes. it's like make, make eating healthy food you know uh great again <laughs> yes yeah. So if you, if you were to, to tie up kind of some words of wisdom to, to close out the episode here, um, you know, in terms of aging, well, eating well, moving well, just that the old age doesn't have to be a, a steep decline into inability. You know, what, what would you share with people? I would say eat joyfully, maybe not as often, <laughs> maybe not quite as much, yeah. But eat joyfully and yeah. share it joyfully. Enjoy yeah. your food. I think that's so important to find to find joy in food again and find, you know, be, be present with it. So, well, Lynn, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really encourage people to to go and check out. I'm going to be uh, checking out, maybe ordering a copy of uh, Brownies for Breakfast because you've made it sound really extremely tasty. You're you're a poster. So you're not a poster child. So what would you be? A poster a woman, poster, poster human, person. poster person. There we go. <laughs> a poster person for healthy aging and what, what it is possible to, to look like. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. So if people want to connect with you, where do they connect with you? My website is easy because it's just lynnbowman.com. Just okay. be sure you spell it L-Y-N-N-E-B-O-W-M-A-N. And um, I would encourage you to sign up on my list. There's a little sign up thing there. You just give me your email. And I yeah. send out my newer recipes when I develop something or want to do a tweak on, on something, remind you about something. I just sent out a pesto mailer, which. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, it, well, it is. It's yeah. it, it, amazing food and it smells fabulous and it's easy and I want you to do it. 
So sign up on my list. And then on my website, it's got connections to all my other social media, and YouTube and all that sort of thing. Uh, and I love hearing from people. I love getting your questions or concerns. And I love getting pictures of stuff that people make from the recipes. So yeah, yeah. Stay in touch. that would be great. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Lynn, for, for joining us today. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And everybody, I do really encourage you to check it out. She's been a, a tremendously valuable resource here. So thanks. thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, or leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after the powerful experiences that shape who we become. And I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you. Because if you're still here, your story's not done yet. So keep moving forward. Anyone can come from any place of brokenness and destitution and build an amazing life.